So as many of you know, we are currently studying through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we are in the second chapter. So if you want to open up to chapter two once again, we're going to pause and just look at the first part of verse 14 today. As we were uh, teaching through the verses last week, it actually just kind of right in the middle of the message, it just sort of popped into my head to uh, pause and do a study on the subject of Christ our peace or uh, the peace of God. And so I decided that today would be a good uh, time to do that. If we were to go out and pull people from among the nations, asking them what the world's greatest immediate need is, I'm certain that peace would be right at the top of the list. Of course, we all long for peace in the world. We all hope for uh, peace in our day. When we see the, the tragic things that accompany war and we see uh, things happening in, say, for instance, uh, the Middle East, as we can just pick up a newspaper or turn on a, a news broadcast and we see the turmoil, we see the unrest, uh, we see the escalating uh, conflict in the Ukraine and the, the issues there between Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, I was talking to a friend this morning after the first service who's just come up from Central America and living in a Central American country and ministering there, and he's telling me about the recent uh, resurgence of violence and murder and things in the community. I was asking him, he's planting a church, and I was asking him how it was going. He said it's, it's been getting very difficult. Uh, he lives in a community that is controlled by gangs, and the gangs have put a curfew on the people, and they're kind of revolting against the new government, which is a, a communist-based kind of a government. You hear these things, and oh, you know, you just, Lord, help peace. We need peace. And no doubt this is something that many feel would be the pressing need of the hour. We long for peace among the nations. We long for peace in our own communities. In some cases, we wish there could be peace in our families. Families are torn apart. There's conflict right within the family unit. And then it comes down to each individual person. We long for peace in our own hearts and minds. So a big issue, the issue of peace. The question is, is true lasting peace even possible? I mean, we haven't really seen that that is possible, have we? But yet the Bible does tell us that it is possible, but it's only possible through one means. There's only one way to attain it, and that way is through the one who is called the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the lack of peace among the nations, the lack of peace among people in general, the lack of peace in individuals lives is due to the fact that mankind is in a perpetual state of war against God. 
This is the root of the problem. Now, generally speaking, we, we tend to try to solve problems by dealing usually only with the symptoms. And if you only deal with the symptoms, you never really get to the, the root of the problem, do you? And, and so this is the case. This is the case in the world at large. This is the case uh, sometimes even in our own personal experience. We're just so often dealing with symptoms. We got to get to the root. The root cause of a lack of peace is the long war against God that man has been uh, waging. And, and you can't have peace within yourself, and therefore you can't really be at peace with others, and we can't expect to be, for the nations to be at peace until this issue is resolved. The prophet Isaiah put it this way, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. But there is peace for those who have embraced the Prince of Peace. And that's what Paul is talking about here in the second chapter of Ephesians, where he refers to Christ in verse 14 as he himself is our peace. So everything starts with peace with God. And so we want to talk today about four things. We want to talk about peace with God, peace within, peace without in, in the sense of peace with our, our fellow man. And then fourthly and finally, we want to talk about the peace of God. But starting with peace with God. The Bible teaches that sometime in the very distant past, a war broke out in heaven, a rebellion against God and his rule. And according to scripture, this rebellion was led by a magnificent being known as Lucifer. And this rebellion that began at the instigation of Lucifer is a rebellion that continues to this very day. Now, according to scripture, at a certain point, this rebellion found its way to earth and this great rebel leader was able through deception to enlist man in his cause. And so we found ourselves, as Paul put it earlier in this chapter, the first few verses, we found ourselves dead in our trespasses and sins. But not only that, we were walking according to the course of this world and then he said, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. So this is a description of our uh, complicity with this uh, rebel, with Satan. This is where we previously were, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, and we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature under the wrath of God because of our uh, war with God, being at war with God. So there we were, co-conspirators with Satan, guilty of high treason against the Lord of the universe, fighting a losing battle, blindly marching to our doom, and God does the unthinkable. The unthinkable is that he offers us peace 
peace at the price of his own blood to atone for our crimes. You know, this, this is the, the crazy, wonderful thing about the gospel. God's the one who offers peace. He, he didn't start the war. We started the war. He's not going to lose the war. We're going to lose the war. There's no doubt about it. But uh, God in his mercy, God in his grace, he, he offers us peace. And he makes a way for peace. And that's the context. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about uh, how we've been brought near by the blood of Christ and how it's through the cross that he's reconciled those of us who were formerly uh, in a state of enmity with God. In the letter to the Colossians, which is sort of, um, well, it's a very similar letter in some ways to that of the letter to the Ephesians. In the first chapter, verses 19 through 22, Paul put it like this. He said, for it pleased the Father by him, by Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And listen, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. So notice the way Paul puts it there. We were not only alienated, not only were we separated from God, but we were actually his enemies. And as I said, we were the ones who uh, started the conflict. But God, as he's telling us here, through Christ, he has made a way for peace. So God has extended that olive branch, so to speak, to us. And our coming to Christ is our act of surrender. And that is where men find peace with God. This is where it all starts. I cannot hope to have peace in my own heart. I cannot hope to have peace with my fellow man. I can never hope that the world will be filled with peace until I have peace with God. That's where it starts. It starts on that individual level. And that takes place when I surrender. Now, we as Christians, we sing songs about surrendering to the Lord. And we're talking about you know, giving everything over to God. And that's, that's good. But there's an initial surrender that must take place. And it's a surrender more uh, in terms of giving up the fight, laying down our weapons. It's the surrender that says, God, I give. You won. I, I'm now submitting to you. I'm now acknowledging your Rule. I'm acknowledging your lordship. That's the term we find in the scripture, the lordship of Jesus Christ. So this is where it all starts. Peace, subjectively or experientially, first of all, has to begin between us and God. We must have peace with God. And then once I have peace with God, then I have peace within. And Jesus described this in a variety of different ways. Calling people who were living in a state of uh, agitation, living in a state of frustration, living in a state of discontentment, Jesus was always inviting people to come to him. And in doing that, he was promising that there would be uh, 
peace as a result of their coming to him. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. One of my favorite verses. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, the word rest, you could just simply replace it if you wanted to with the word peace. Come to me and I will give you peace. So you see, when we come to Christ, this is one of the immediate benefits of having peace with God. The immediate benefit for us subjectively is we, it, we then experience peace within because the, the conflict is over. I'm no longer fighting against my maker. I'm no longer resisting my creator. And so we come to that place. But notice the call is to those who are weary and burdened. This is a description of life, really, uh, life outside of Christ. Life is wearisome. It's burdensome. And we live with these frustrations, and we live in uh, a state of agitation. Something just doesn't seem right. Well, it's because something isn't right. Our relationship with God isn't right. So when we come to Christ, he gives us that peace. But Jesus put it in a variety of different ways. In John chapter four, we have the story of of Jesus meeting this woman at a well in Samaria. And this was a woman who obviously had no peace in her life. She was a woman who uh, had up until that point been married five different times, five failed marriages, and now she was living with a man. And, you know, that, that's not totally unusual in our day and age, uh, but back at that time, that was rather unusual, and especially in the culture that she was from. Now, she wasn't a Jew. She was a Samaritan, but the Samaritans had a, a similar culture to the Jews. The Samaritans were religious. So here's a woman who obviously has internal issues. She doesn't have peace. How do we know that? Well, she keeps going from relationship to relationship to relationship, hoping, evidently, to find fulfillment. But she doesn't. So she has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says these words to her. He said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. Now, the whole incident occurred around a well in Samaria, and Jesus uh, was there, and this woman came to the well, and Jesus said, give me a drink. And she said, well, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Uh, John tells us Jews and Samaritans, they had no dealings with one another. There was strife between the two peoples. And Jesus said to her, he said, if you knew who it was who asked you, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you living water. And then she went on to say, you know, tell me about that. So there he said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So again, what Jesus is describing here is he's describing fulfillment. He's describing uh, a state of peace. If, if you come to me, if you drink this water, or in other words, if you, going back to what we said earlier, if you surrender to God, if you give up the fight, if you give yourself to him and start living for him, this will be the result. You will never thirst 
and the water that Jesus gives will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In John chapter seven, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said a similar thing to a crowd that was gathered at the Feast of Tabernacles. He stood and said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So you see, again, Jesus is describing this experience of peace within. This is the result of having peace with God. It results in peace within. There's a prophecy in Isaiah 66 about the future uh, kingdom of God and and about the future of uh, Jerusalem there. And God says, he says, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. I will extend peace to her like a river. So this is what God intends for us. We can't have peace apart from him, but we can know true inner peace once we come to know him. Now, it starts with peace with God. It then goes to peace within, but then this results in uh peace without in the sense that this will then lead me to live peaceably with other people. You see, the reason why uh, people are at war with other people is because they're at war within themselves. James tells us that in uh, James chapter four, I think it's verse one, where James says, where, he asked the question, where do wars and fight, fightings come from among you? Whence all of this conflict? Where does this come from? He says, does it not come from the lust that rages within you? It it comes from these uh, insatiable desires. It comes from these longings for things that can never fulfill people and subsequently never give them peace. And because people don't have peace in themselves, they are at war within. They start wars with the people around them. And it might be with the people in your own home. It might be with the people where you work. It might be, you know, something broader in a community. But of course, when you think about nations in conflict, it's the same issues. There's lust, there's greed, there's the desire for power. And people think that by attaining these things, what are they looking for? Well, if I get this, I will be fulfilled. I will be satisfied. I will have peace. So when you do have peace, by having peace with God and then peace within as a result, then it lends itself to peace with people around you. And in the context of Ephesians, as we considered it last week, you remember Paul's talking about this irreconcilable difference between Jews and Gentiles had been resolved in Christ. Groups who formerly were, were completely entrenched in hostility toward one another have now been brought together. And this is the beauty of what we see happen when somebody comes to Christ. It makes for good relationships. It makes for peace among people because the war is no longer there. And so there's the peace with God, uh, the peace within, the peace without. But then there's one other thing that I want to take a few minutes and consider, and that's what the Bible calls the peace of God. 
the peace of God is a little bit different. And what it's referring to is it's the peace that God gives those who have peace with him in times of crisis or times of fear or times of uncertainty. Now, it's possible to be at peace with God and it's possible to have peace within in in a general sense, but it's also possible, as most of us know by experience, to have moments where we don't have peace, where we are fearful, where we are full of anxiety, where we are agitated over something. We still have peace with God. We still have, in, in the sense of ownership, we still own the peace within, but there's, there's something that's escaped us at the moment because of a crisis that we're facing. And this is where we need the peace of God. We need God's peace to come and to be applied to that immediate situation. And the Bible speaks of how this takes place. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, Paul says it like this. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So Paul's writing to Christians, people who have peace with God. He's writing to people who would normally, under normal circumstances, uh, have peace within. But because of the circumstances of life have brought this uncertainty or this fear or whatever it might be, the peace is lost. How do I get that peace? Well, he tells us right here. He breaks it down for us. Be anxious for nothing. The NLT, the New Living Translation, puts it this way. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and ask and and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God, how do we maintain that? Or how do we get that during these these moments of uncertainty or these times of crisis? Well, be anxious for nothing or don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. Worry is the biggest waste of time there is. Did you know that most of what people worry about never even happens? It's, it's never even gonna happen. I think the statistic I read some years ago, not all that long ago, was uh, 92% of the things that people worry about never happen. So that cut off a lot of worry right there. You know? <laughs> 8% of the things you worry about you know, could happen, but might not. But haven't we wasted lots of time worrying? I know I have. I, I have spent so much time in my life worrying about things. I think of, as my kids were growing up and uh, you know, all of those typical 
worries that you have regarding your kids. And I remember sleepless nights worrying about where they were and when they were going to get home and, uh, you know, a couple of occasions. I, I, I tend to be, I tended to be, I still am, I guess, uh, an overprotective dad. So, you know, I, I was always trying to make sure my, my kids were never going to get hurt. And they didn't necessarily appreciate that because, you know, that limited their, their fun. And so the older they got, they used to push back a little bit and just say, oh, dad, you know, you need to trust God. Stop worrying. And uh, <laughs> they would, it could get pretty brutal at times, you know. But I'll never forget my, my oldest son, I realized that I was being a little bit too overprotective. And so uh, finally, I just thought, okay, I, I got to stop doing this. I got to just trust the Lord. I got to let him go do the things he's going to do. He's, a, he's a, a young man and so forth. So we were, we were on a trip to, to Spain, to the Balearic Islands, in Mallorca, Spain, where a friend of ours lives. And our friend Rafael, one of the things that he likes to do is he likes to go cliff jumping. And so one day they came to me with this idea that they were going to go cliff jumping. And of course, they're jumping off cliffs into the Mediterranean. And, and everything in me wanted to come up with an alternative plan for the day. You know, my, my protective dad instinct was like to say, oh, no, 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 I planned something else today. We're going to go on a nice ride around the island. We're going to, you know, and, and I knew inside I was, I was striving and I wasn't trusting the Lord. So I, I just said, okay, cool. Yeah, cliff jumping, that's great. No problem, man, have fun. Uh, you know, I played it cool like I really didn't care. So uh, I, let them, I let them go when they went. And sure enough, you know, just as I feared and dreaded, um, well, thank God nothing serious happened. But when they came back from the thing, the, the big story of the day was how my son jumped off a cliff that was almost 100 feet high. And I have a picture in my office. If you ever uh, doubt the validity of my story, I, somebody took a photo of him jumping off this cliff. And, and when, they, when they told me about it, I just, I couldn't believe it. And, and Raphael, who's the guy who's there, and he does this all the time, he goes, oh, man, no, Brian, nobody's ever been up that high before. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing, you know? And I'm thinking, you're the chaperone. You were supposed to prevent this kind of stuff from happening. And they, so they showed me this picture. And I looked at my son, and I said, I said, Char, what were you thinking? What, what, did you lose your mind? What were you thinking? And typical, he said, you know, Dad, I wasn't thinking until I wasn't thinking until my feet left the rock. And then I started thinking, what in the world have I done? Well, he survived the jump and came back uninjured. But it was those kinds of things that would put me in a state of worry. And yet, you know, God has been faithful. And he, and he does, he, he, he watches over us. And so the point, again, is so many things that we worry about. It's a waste of energy. So be anxious for nothing. 
Don't worry about anything. What do we do instead? We're to pray. We're to pray about these things. Now, when you look at the world today, there's a big temptation to get worried about lots of things, isn't there? I know that there, there is for me. When I read the papers, when I listen to the news, when I see the, the things that are happening in our nation, when I see things going on around the world, when I see the, some of the crazy decisions our politicians are making and so forth, you think about your family, you think about your loved ones, and it, there's, there's a tendency, uh, I think, for many of us to be anxious about these things. But God says, don't worry about them. He says, instead, pray. Pray about everything. I love that. That's the alternative. We need to pray. So this is, we're talking about how do I, how do I maintain this, this peace or how do I uh, regain the peace if I lose it? I, I pray about things. I put things in God's hands. I recognize, you know, I can't do anything about this. Lord, I, uh, this is a point where we are gonna trust you and we're trusting a God who is faithful. We're trusting a God who, we have a whole Bible full of evidence of his faithfulness to his people throughout the generations. We have uh, the history of the church with numerous similar stories. We have our own life's experiences. So I look back on my life and I remember, okay, the Lord, you were faithful here. You did this here. And so I'm not going to worry about this. Instead, I'm going to commit it to you in prayer. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. It's a good thing to go back and remember all that God has already done. We've been here before. You ever feel like that? Oh, I've been here before. Yeah, I've been down this road. I've had this kind of experience. What happened back then? Well, this is what the Lord did. Well, okay, we're expecting him to do something similar as we go further down the road. That's how God works. And it's when we do these things It's then that the peace of God, which passes understanding. Now, I know for myself, a lot of times, the reason I don't have peace is because I'm trying to understand the situation. And some things are just beyond our understanding. You can't figure it out. And the the harder you try to figure it out, the worse it gets. There comes a point where you just have to say, okay, Lord, I am going to trust you, and I'm going to receive your peace, even though I can't understand how any of this might possibly work itself out for good, I'm going to trust that it will because you said it would, and you're faithful. And as we do that, this is how we then experience God's peace. Isaiah the prophet put it this way, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. And then he adds this, trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord is everlasting strength. Trust in the Lord. This is the promise of God. He will keep us in perfect peace. The peace of God, he will keep those in peace whose mind is stayed upon him. As Paul says here in Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. And whatever the circumstance is, whether it's personal or whether it's something that's just in the, the bigger picture of life and all of that, 
remember this, he is our peace. You know, I, I become more and more convinced with the passing of time. Uh, I become more convinced of the certainty of the Bible, uh, the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is. Uh, I thank God that, that he's doing that work in my heart to where I can just, I can look at the world and just say, I know where this is headed and it's not good. But I know in the bigger picture that it's all going to work out the way God said it is. You know, the crazy thing to think about is with the deep longing for peace that people have, there's going to be a false peace that's going to be foisted upon humanity sometime in the future. And we, we refer to this person commonly as the Antichrist. The, the hook the Antichrist will bring humanity into himself with is the hook of peace. He's going to offer a false peace. And people are so desperately going to want peace, they're going to sell out truth for peace, but it's a false peace. But there is uh, an ultimate peace that will come. And that peace is connected to the Prince of Peace. The passage that we commonly read at Christmas time is a passage that has much more to do uh, with the, the future of things than just with a, a particular day in history, the day that Christ was born. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, let me read it to you, just as a reminder of the reality of where things are headed. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. The government will be upon his shoulder. Now, that's a politician that we can trust. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And listen, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will establish a universal reign of righteousness and peace in the days ahead when he comes upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So going back to Paul's words, he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. If you lack peace today and you're a believer in Jesus, Trust him. Trust Christ. He's your peace. He will give you the peace of God that passes understanding. If you lack peace today and you've been trying to find peace through all different kinds of methods, uh, but you've been maybe, uh, maybe you've been ignorant of the reality of the peace Christ offers, or maybe you've been trying to avoid that, uh, there's no peace outside of Christ. He is the only peace. He is our peace. Do you have peace with God today? He's made peace, remember, through the blood of Christ. It's our part to surrender. I come into the peace when I surrender to him. If you need God's peace as his child, then pray. Pray believing, trusting Believe that he loves you. Trust that he's working out his glorious plan and purpose in your life. Just lay hold of that. And if you have to do it 100 times a day, sometimes we go through crises. And I've had times like this in my life. 
where I have to, over and over again throughout a day, I have to keep going back and, and giving these things over to the Lord. There are seasons when that happens. It's not every day, thank God, but there are times when we go through that and we just have to go over and over again. Lord, I'm giving this to you again because, you know, it seems to me like I, I give it to him, I have peace, and then I take it right back. I try to figure it out again and then I lose my peace. So if you're in a place like that, just keep over and over, just bringing it before the Lord, delivering it over to God, putting it in his hands and trusting that he is at work and he's going to bring about his intended plan and and purpose for your life. He himself is our peace. Jesus is the answer. Dive deeper into him. Get closer to him. Call out to him. That's where peace is. Lord, thank you that you are our peace, that there is such a thing as true peace, and it comes through you. And thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us to have peace with God. Thank you, Lord, that you give us peace within. Thank you that you have helped us to live at peace with our neighbors. And thank you, Lord, that you give us the peace that passes understanding in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a storm. So Lord, today, just minister accordingly to each one, we pray. And I would just pray for any this morning, Lord, anyone that's here that is yet to make peace with you, yet to surrender Lord, you have offered peace through the blood of the cross and may they surrender today to you, laying down their arms, so to speak, giving up the fight and yielding to your lordship. Help people to make that decision today. And Lord, for believers, for those that have already done that, but yet need your peace this hour, for whatever reason, Lord, you know, I pray that you would bring them that peace, help them. Lord, not to be worried, but to pray and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.